Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have Molly Shapiro, Senior Art Director at IMDb and Creative Director and Founder of her company, Studio Vesper. Welcome on, Molly. We're so excited to have you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So first off, you're you're this immensely talented designer and creative leader who's sort of nimbly bounced from work in design to branding to creative direction. Uh, you've worked for both global companies like Sephora and running your own boutique design agency. Can you talk a little bit about your background and how you got to the position that you're at? right now? So way back in the day, I actually started off as a hairstylist and um, I realized I really hated working in salons. And so I wanted to work on photo shoots. And slowly I started to realize that I didn't really want so much to be one of these smaller pieces in the photo shoot, but I would rather be the person that kind of is creating the vision. So I went back to school. I went to FITM. Uh, where I studied visual communications. And then I started my career as a graphic designer. From there, I realized again that I wanted to be an art director, like pretty quickly. I realized that I could either be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond. I think both are great career paths to choose early on. Um, It's just a choice I think we all have to make. And I definitely couldn't be an art director in Sephora, for example, in the same time frame that I could start being an art director at a smaller company. So um, I started being an art director for, you know, smaller brands that no one had ever heard of. And um, after that, I started my own agency and freelanced with larger companies on a contract basis. And um, once I had those bigger names on my resume, I then had the clout to be able to have the same title in a larger company. Are there any lessons that jump out when you compare working for a brand like Sephora to starting your own company and doing those freelance contract roles? I definitely learned different lessons in each. Um, When I had my own business, I really (laughs) learned to appreciate all of the people in other departments who specialize in their specific work that they devote their career to. I also learned really valuable lessons in client communication and presentation. I think that was kind of um, a rough start for me back then. Um, I didn't have the experience of um, presenting concepts on my own um, on that large scale. And um, I think my process has definitely improved since then. Uh, Additionally, there are like all the legalities of owning your own business, um, making the contracts that specify how many rounds of changes that they're going to get and actually making sure to stick to that. And then, you know, general project management, when you are the only person uh, running your own company, uh, you not only have to manage all of your design projects, but also like the bookkeeping and the marketing and all of the individual things that really go into that. On the other hand, working for a global brand, you know, I definitely learned more about workflow time allocation and really like the proper way to do things. Yeah, it's such, they're all such valuable lessons. I really relate to all of those as a creative. I feel like in the beginning of our careers, it's sort of guided by passion and those creative juices that you're you're sort of validated in your talents that sort of, oh, people enjoyed this work that I made. Maybe I can get more work like that. But learning those subtle things of 
how to how to say no to a company, how to say, you know, like I need more money than that, how to like appropriately value yourself and uh, demonstrate that value through the sort of like like you're talking about the pitches. I think it's all so uh, subtle and takes that experience in order to to learn those things because I think a lot of that is that's the unspoken truth of being creative in the brand world. Absolutely. And I think early on, you know, in my early 20s, knowing how to advocate for myself, both in business and in just my social life was such a challenge. You like don't know yourself well enough yet. And um, you don't value yourself well enough yet. I don't know. Maybe that was just me. But um, that was definitely a big lesson that I've learned probably throughout my career in all aspects. (laughs) I think it's it's a pretty ubiquitous feeling that a lot of creatives come up and and aren't prepared to, you know, like a company will come to you and be like, I like that design. I'll give you a, you know, case of peanut butter for it. And you're like, okay, that's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> I'll, I'll do that work. Um, and I think Pain that's like exposure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, it, cause, cause all you see is now I have that experience. Now I have that, you know, it's another little step in this constant, you know, evolution and ascent to, to getting to a place where you can say no or can charge your value. I remember early on in my career, you know, having to have some really hard conversations with clients or with bosses. And my cousin and I would um, get together and read each other the emails and have each other edit the emails and um, be like, I don't want to have this conversation tomorrow. And we'd always say, you know, this is going to be worth it because one day this is going to be easy. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I love that. Can we segue and talk a little bit about your role in marketing and branding as a creative and how you feel like a brand can come across as authentic or the elements that they need to have in order to achieve that kind of universal goal of being an authentic brand? Yeah, absolutely. There are four fundamentals of authenticity and branding. Um, The first is integrity. Like the brand should have morals and care about the consumer, uh, care about the planet, care about other living things. And then there's credibility. So making sure your brand is appearing honest and trustworthy. I think education really fits into this category. And that's something that I feel really strongly about, especially working in like the beauty and skincare industry. It's like Uh, There's such like a barrier to entry. There are so many brands who want to appear like they are going to solve all your problems. It's easy to be manipulated by the marketing of that. And so I think it's really important to educate the consumer um, about what the product is doing, what the product can do, and maybe other limitations, whether that's through like a blog, um, just like an educational aspect so that they can make informed decisions. Then we have continuity. So this, um, I think mostly comes, I mean, I see it mostly from a visual aspect, um, you know, being consistent in the way that a brand presents itself and making sure your brand is timeless and not entirely trend focused. So I'm adamant about a brand book, like a brand Bible. So all of your visuals, how the logo is used, how it is not used, what colors do we use? What colors do we not use? And then additionally, I think that copywriting plays a really big part in this, um, making sure that the brand voice is coming from a place that fits with the visuals and is also consistent throughout all assets. The last one is symbolism. And symbolism gives meaning to people's lives and connects people to things that are important to them or the things that really matter. And I think a great example of this is 
Sephora's We Belong to Something Beautiful program, which, um, you know, tells people that beauty is from the inside and you don't have to look like a model to be beautiful. Yeah, it's always an important message. And I think it sort of plays into this idea that authenticity is somehow linked to our humanity. And and brands, uh, at least nowadays, it seems like there's a, a big push to be uh, more human and, and recognize that we're not all these sort of idealized, perfect people, which I think used to be sort of the identity that branding would, would uphold was this sort of uh, perfection. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we always try to make things as perfect as possible. Um, you know, we want to do the best work we can. But I think that people have really woken up to knowing that they are being marketed to. Brands really need to start doing that kind of foundational work uh, to really connect to the consumers. This this current generation, Gen Z is a very sort of talked about generation in the marketing space now. Can you talk about how these ideas attract a new customer base in Gen Z? Yeah. I mean, I think Gen Z can really easily identify that brands are inauthentic. Um, they're very sensitive to greenwashing and they think that millennials are extremely influenced by brands and marketing. And honestly, they're probably right. <laughs> and as the next demographic with disposable income is coming into the buying market, it's really important for brands to not just appear to be doing better, but actually be doing better. Um, you know, Gen Z is adopting this dying planet with an infrastructure that can't support it. So they really have their future and the future of the world's best interest in mind. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What a what a tragedy we've we've <laughs> we've given to them. Um, I'm an elder millennial. Maybe the oldest age that you can be, but I still identify with it because I'm hip. I'm cool. Uh, but they're sort of defined by the first generation that has grown up entirely in the internet age. Correct? Is that is that the sort of definition of Gen Z? So, like from you know birth till now, they are completely connected to all the information in the whole world. Yeah, I mean, millennials are, I think, the last generation who have ever known an internetless life. I remember yeah. getting my first email address in like third grade. Right. We had a yes. family email address. AOL. <laughs> <laughs> we were like the Rosses at, at uh, netgear.xo or something. <laughs> what a poignant and, and depressing <laughs> world we've given to Gen Z. Uh, good luck. So moving on. <laughs> Every brand has a complexity similar to its clients. Uh, can you talk about building personas um, that that match match a creative's point of view? If our listeners are sort of thinking about this and thinking about the Gen Z perspective and thinking about building out personas to attract a certain market to their product, what's your philosophy on building out those personas? Early on in my freelance career, I asked myself how I could best understand what my clients wanted their brands to be. I was hired to be the visual person and not every entrepreneur that I worked with had a mood board to get started. So I created this worksheet, which I'm absolutely happy to share with anyone. Um, and it had really abstract questions on it. Um, like, what is your brand's personality? Like, if you could choose three words to describe your brand, what is it? If your brand was a person, where would they shop? What do they wear? Uh, where do they live? What does their apartment look like? 
what do they do on the weekend? Or like, what's their favorite flower? And I just want to be clear, I did not come up with this on on my own. (laughs) Um, I think that this is a tactic that's been used in marketing for a really long time, um, but not really something that people talk about very openly. It's kind of like a behind the scenes thing. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. I feel like personas, uh, obviously they come up on the podcast a lot and I think every company probably has their approach to them. Um, yeah. But yeah, obviously your approach has worked because you've you've created uh, a lot of very beautiful work. Can you talk about maybe some of your processes when it comes to building out a campaign or building out an idea? So when starting any project, um, whether it's like a new brand or a rebrand or a campaign for an existing brand, I always really try to ask myself what the story is that I'm trying to tell and what is the world that this project will live in. So I, I know this sounds like kind of kooky, but bear with me. <laughs> um, I start by picking like a few visual inspo images so I can kind of get an idea of where I want to go, just a general direction. And then I completely shift gears and this might be my ADD, but um, I start making a playlist or finding like one song that I can listen to for like the duration of the project that gets me in this kind of mood that um, puts me into this world that I'm creating. So then I go back to the mood boards. (laughs) And I start creating the mood boards while listening to the music. And I like to really focus on a really wide scope of work, like nothing that's too exact to what I'm trying to create. It doesn't have to be like logos or branding or packaging design. Um, I really here want to focus on uh, textures and other elements that inspire me. So nature and lighting. And I love architecture. I find that architecture is always one of like my biggest inspirations. Um, and then just generally like different mediums of art. Um, I love like James Terrell, for example, which, you know, I can just inspire gradients in whatever, or is just like a, a general vibe <laughs> for yeah. lack of a better word. Um, and then sometimes like not always, I will bring a scent into the mix. Um, whether that's just for myself, if I like light a candle or spray a perfume, um, or if it's just something that I think of and make like a little note about in my notebook. Um, and then by creating this world that I can envision myself in, in a 360 way, um, I find that my concepts have a lot more depth to them. Can you talk a bit about some of your favorite projects and maybe why they they resonate with you so much? My all-time favorite project is uh, the Oddly Satisfying series I did for Sephora. Um, for those of you that don't know what Oddly Satisfying is, it is a trending, um, like, short-form video content that you'll mostly see on Instagram. And it's, like, uh, goop uh, shampoo. <laughs> and it's, like, dripping down a screen or it's being stirred in an interesting way. And you just can't look away from it. It's like yes. a good train wreck. <laughs> yeah. Very textural, very kind of yeah. sparkly, glimmery. Uh, it almost feels, it's like images that, that you can feel in a way. So it really yep. harkens back to your sensory explorations. I, I really loved that too. I, I checked it out on your website. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, yeah. I'd like to say it's like ASMR for your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, very much. That's good. Very much. Um, 
And I think that what was really interesting and inspiring for me about this project is that um, most photo and video shoots when done for a brand really want you to show off their branding. I'm sure many designers who are listening can relate that for a lot of companies, it's like the bigger the logo, the better. <laughs> and this yeah. was an opportunity where I didn't have to show any logo. And sometimes I did. Sometimes I played with the packaging, but it really just felt like creating art where I can focus on the product itself and not the packaging the product came in and really showcase that product in its best light. I love that. Yeah. So as a leader, how do you personally cultivate a work environment that has autonomy, trust, ownership, and accountability? Well, I truly believe that great ideas can come from anywhere. And I want everyone on my team to always feel heard and feel that their ideas matter. Um, I really want to get to know every team member um, on a personal level because I first and foremost value them as a human being and not just a worker ant. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if you need to take a, like time off for therapy, please do that. If you need a mental health day, take it. Uh, if I see you online shopping, that's totally fine. I do it too. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, if you're late in the morning, like that's chill, like just be there for your meetings, get your work done on time. You know, I want to treat everyone as an adult with, um, trust and autonomy. Additionally, I really want to get to know their career goals and what they do and don't like about what they do. This helps me delegate the right assignments to them and also strengthen the skills that they need to get to the next level. And when working on projects that they feel are interesting and that are improving themselves, I have seen less small mistakes made because they are truly taking pride in the work that they are doing. And I mean, I guess lastly, I just like encourage them to use me and each other as a resource because no one should ever feel like they have to do anything like all by themselves. Yeah. What a beautiful, I love that. Yeah, beautiful set of lessons. Yeah. That's huge. I got chills. It was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing to Thank feel you. Like, like maybe work is heading this way. We talked to somebody from LinkedIn recently and I asked him about this new phenomenon where a lot of people are posting much more personal things on LinkedIn and and there's this overwhelming echo of uh, this doesn't belong on LinkedIn, like on the feed. You know, if they were to post a personal view or a political stance or something uh, that maybe in times past was designated for Facebook. Um, and he was like, I love this. You know what it shows me? That our work lives and our personal lives are becoming, are blending. And, and we're becoming yeah. more aware of each other as human beings rather than just I work here. Um, and I thought it was a really poignant answer because it, it, it echoes your point that we're all just uh, doing the best we can. And if you're given autonomy and given a sense that you have a creative voice or you have a voice in this whole business mission um, and you feel heard and you feel supported uh, while trying to maintain your personal life in the best possible way you can, um, I think everyone wins. Um, so I really yeah. appreciate what you said. I think it's a, a wonderful philosophy to lead. I think, you know, especially from the baby boomer generation, like your career defined you as a person, you yeah. know, you have the same, you work for the same company for 30 years. Um, people work until they die. You know, it's like, <laughs> I feel I think terrible that, laughing, but I just laughed because I was like, yeah, what, yeah, a, it's true. what a predicament we're in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if this gets dark. Um, no, you can I, cut it if you want. I'm but. here for it. <laughs> no, yeah, good. <laughs> 
Um, I think, you know, especially since the pandemic, I think that people have kind of taken or like realized that you can do work from home and that you don't have to waste three hours of your day on a commute. And like, you should be trusted to do your job because you are an adult and there is more to life than working. And I think we collectively are valuing ourselves more and advocating for ourselves more. And I just love this direction that it's going in. What are some challenges that have come with leading a team of creatives? And what are some of your personal successful tips that you can share with our audience? Leading a team of creatives is um, one of the most rewarding things I have ever done. It has to be done a little gingerly sometimes. Like creatives are very emotional people. Like, of course we are because our work comes from our soul. So, um, you know, criticism can be a little difficult to swallow sometimes. You know, I think early in my career, again, like I, I was really bad at that. I took things really, really personally. I had, I had an ego about it. Um, not going to lie, but, um, you know, that was just something that I had learned to let go of. And that's definitely something that I encourage my team to let go of. Creativity and art is so subjective. I encourage my team members that have a great idea that we might not use this time to not throw it away. So maybe we can use it again in the future. Um, Maybe we can adapt it to serve the company better now. Um, Or maybe this is like a great idea that should be your sole project and you should explore that on your own because I'd love to see it in a gallery one day. (laughs) Outside of work and all the different things that you're jumping into, what are some of the things that you're interested in personally? Travel is my favorite thing in the entire world. It gives me inspiration from my work. But additionally, it helps me disconnect from materialistic things. We live in a capitalist hellscape. And um, I think that (laughs) traveling helps me, you know, really see what's most important in life. Additionally, my main mission in life is to give a voice to the voiceless. I want to help animals. Um, I have done a lot of volunteer work for uh, animal rescues. Um, and I fostered a lot of animals uh, and cared for them however I can. <laughs> this one time, um, I was on my way to a job interview and I saw a like fledgling pigeon fallen in like on the freeway from the overpass. And I luckily left 15 minutes early. <laughs> never, uh, don't never not leave 15 minutes early. <laughs> so <laughs> I did a loop back, pulled off on the side of the freeway, scooped up this pigeon and put it in my car, drove across LA to a job interview, which was at a hotel. So I pull up to the valet and I ask the valet guy, if he'll just leave my car up front and running. And like the windows cracked because there was a pigeon <laughs> in my car. <laughs> Full recovery? Um, did it make a full recovery? Yes, it did. It flew away a few days later. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that so, yeah. so much. I uh, uh, Yeah, I mean... I had a similar experience when I was a young... Uh, I think I was a teenager and I found two orphaned blue jays in my backyard and I raised them uh, and I named them Lloyd and yes. Harry after the movie Dumb and Dumber, which was my favorite movie at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they made That's it. That's amazing. Yeah. So I'm a big Love fan of, uh, of uh, bird recovery. <laughs> oh, yeah. good. 
you're a good person. <laughs> I don't have a, a bird one, but um, my family has a beautiful property in the Midwest and um, they live in like a dead end road. And there's a lot of people that would just like leave their animals um, by them. So like we took in all these animals and then would obviously like find them good homes. And then we kept some of them. But I will distinctly remember one of my favorite dogs. We named her Pegleg because she had three legs and she was amazing um, and like lived on the farm with my family and myself. So. Yeah. Aww. More power to like stopping. Um, I think that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy that the valet person uh, was so yeah. kind about it. I even went into the interview and I told them <laughs> it's like there. I, I know this is weird. Uh, there is a pigeon in my car right now. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, they loved it. <laughs> they were like, I, we, we like this pigeon girl. She seemed very, very <laughs> like in their recap. <laughs> Oh my God. For the rest of my career, I'm going to be known as the pigeon girl. <laughs> uh, stuff sticks. I'm I'm just saying stuff, stuff sticks. sticks. Um, it's not the worst title, I guess. Yeah. And I bet that valet oh. has seen worse. I bet he was like, oh, pigeon. Yeah. That's, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. A valet in LA at an LA hotel. I'm sure they've seen some pretty uh, story worthy uh, thing outside of the pigeon realm. We've got Stand With The Brand. This is a little story about Ogilvy UK. So they recently stated that it, they are no longer going to work with influencers who edit their bodies or faces for ads. Um, enforcing these mandates are a little bit tricky, of course. Um, although some marketers see the band as an altruistic move by Ogilvy, uh, it seems like a first good step in tackling a larger societal pro problem. And then some argue that discouraging influencers from editing their photos could potentially do harm. Um, the no edits mandate is a very small drop in a very big ocean of what needs to be done to solve the mental health issues that are actually being driven through social media nowadays. Do you stand with the brand or do you take a seat on this, Molly? I 100% stand with the brand. I try to live my life by the campsite rule, you know, leave the world better than how you found it. And Ooh, I yeah. think this generation has grown up um, within, sorry, this generation that has grown up with influencers has so many unrealistic beauty standards. So that's thrust up mm, one more time. This generation who has grown up with influencers has so many unrealistic beauty standards thrust upon them. And it's incredibly damaging to their mental health. I think one of the main reasons why I am kind of diverging from the fashion and beauty industry right now is that I kind of felt like part of the problem, you know, telling women that they need a product to be better, to be more beautiful, to be accepted, like to be loved. Um, that just really doesn't sit right with me. I mean, I, I may end up going back to beauty and fashion. It is like my first love and I have so much fun working with those companies. But um, I think that mandating the influencers to be themselves will do a lot more good than harm. Yeah, I like that. And I think, Absolutely. I think there's a lot of empowerment and, uh, you know, looking the looking how you want to, to. There's a lot of stuff that the beauty industry can provide that maybe can be linked to positive adjectives <laughs> instead of negative. So I, th I do think there's a lot of value there. Yeah, absolutely. Like I like to look crisp and sharp when I go out. <laughs> On one hand, like skincare, you know, is like 
almost medicinal, you know, like helping acne or like Scott, like helping rosacea or different kinds of skin conditions. Um, the industry is definitely not all bad. And like, I love beauty and fashion. It like brings me so much personal joy. I definitely don't think the industry is evil, but you know, I think that the influencers not showing like a false representation of themselves is going to cause young women and and older women to stop comparing themselves to something that literally does not exist. Yeah. yeah. I think I think it's a positive move. Cuz it's not saying you can't look your best and, you know, wear your favorite outfits and, you know, express yourself in the best possible way. It's just saying no photo manipulation, right? No like after the fact uh, you know, retouching. Is that is that true? Yeah. Yeah, that seems yes, more authentic, yeah. especially in like a social space that's supposed mm-hmm. to be, I guess it's like predicated. I think that's what led us to be so obsessed with social media as we get to glimpse into someone's life in a way. Um, at oh, least absolutely. That's, that's my understanding. And then obviously it's going to be manipulated and sort of, uh, you know, capitalism, right? <laughs> right. And it's like a highlight reel, I feel, that in – Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think it's some of my favorite quote unquote humans to follow on social or those who like show some like the realness and they're not going to cover up or use, you know, certain apps to just like smooth because I'm like, nobody's pores look that nice. (laughs) Um, And I think it's, it's huge for especially women and girls growing up, um, especially like Gen Z, I'm thinking about that generation. And I did not, I had like a flip phone in high school. There was no <laughs> smartphones yet. And social media wasn't a thing. Um, Cause I think Facebook was just starting up and I didn't even get that till college. And it's, I think it's huge for Ogilvy to do that in the UK. And I'd really like to see it in the US because I think that's half the battle is you don't, openly go on social media to compare, but it can be really hard because some things look so realistic, but like you said, it's, it's unattainable. Like that's not a real thing that's out there. And personally, I really like seeing some of the beauty, especially like skincare and makeup, having women in their like fifties and sixties and just like owning who they are. Um, I think there, I'm trying to remember there's an ad recently, I think like Ilya is what it's called. And it's just so beautiful to see a woman who's just like doing herself up for her. And there's, you know, some beautiful wrinkles that she's earned, like gorgeous, long, like gray hair and just owning it because that's what makes her feel beautiful. So I'm very much on board with this uh, shift in how things are going to be like influencing, if you will. That was very well put. I love the phrase, (laughs) like earning your wrinkles. Um, You know, I think our society like really... I feel like has had a tendency like the past, you know, few decades um, of kind of like throwing women away once they are not like yes young and, and like toit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I agree. I think uh, Girlfriend Collective has done a great yes. job at showcasing some um, older women as well. And like, you can be beautiful. You can be fashionable. Like you are not like, we're not sweeping you under the rug anymore. Yes. Um, I, I very much um, love and appreciate the brands who are making an effort to do that. Absolutely. My wife has a friend who, uh, she's a fashion designer and she started a company 
specifically making dresses like chic dresses for older women because uh, she was so appalled at her mom and aunt's quest to try to find wedding dresses that didn't make them look like old ladies. And she was like, this has to change. Yes. I, I need to make some <laughs> fashionable, amazing. fun, sweet stuff. So, and I, I just thought the mission was so cool and it was so weird. And then when we got married, I was like, oh yeah, shopping is, is different at different ages. Yep. Um, do you want to plug that brand? Because I just got engaged and I think my mom would love to know. <laughs> yeah, I will send it to you. I, there's no way I will remember the name of it. Um, her name's Julie. She's awesome. Um, but uh, there's no way I remember the name of the company, but I will send it. Um, and maybe Thank I'll put it, put it along in the next one. But congratulations on your engagement. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, congrats. <laughs> I, Thanks. Uh, I'm coming up on my first anniversary this month. So congratulations to you. Thank you. Yeah. It's a, it's a great time to be alive. Um, <laughs> moving on. So this is our final segment. We ask all of our guests the same three questions and they're ultimately just to get you, get to know you a little bit more as a person. Uh, so the first question is what have you done recently for the very first time? Okay. So I actually haven't done it yet, but, um, I am about to move to Charleston, South Carolina for six months. Wow. <laughs> um, I grew up in LA. I have never lived anywhere else, even though I've traveled all over. Um, this will be my first time living in a new city. So Ooh. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Congratulations. And I hear nothing but great things about Charleston. I hear it's just such a lovely place. Yeah. It is really beautiful. There are so many dolphins. <laughs> An unreal amount Ooh. of dolphins. <laughs> yeah. So you're obviously right by the coast in Charleston when you go there. Um, we are staying a little bit like inland, but um, it's a 10 minute drive to the beach. It's really easy to get to. Wow. Yeah. That's coastal where we are. We're, yeah. in, we're, <laughs> we're in the most landlocked part of the country. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I live on the east side of LA now and like I, I go years without seeing the beach because it's like so hard to get to. <laughs> yeah. You got to go at the right time. It's all about finding that window on the tent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Midweek, midday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's awesome. Well, congratulations. As someone who's lived in yes. many, many cities, uh, it's such a great, I think it's a great experience. Everything, it's just enriching. It just gives you a new perspective no matter where you go. Uh, what? Okay, next question. If you were invited to uh, a show and tell right now, uh, what do you think you would bring and why? <laughs> um, I feel like almost any animal lover would say this, but my cat, Oliver, he is just like the funniest, most social little boy. He loves going out of the town. I take him on walks every day in a bag. Like it has like a little head hole <laughs> and his little like cat head hangs out. I'm honestly surprised he's not here right now. He usually loves being a uh, part of the Zoom calls. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Cats have like a- I love it. A, a sixth sense for Zoom calls, I feel like. I feel like they're usually like, oh. <laughs> right? You're on Zoom? I want a piece of this. <laughs> um, I love Usually that. there's like a tail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and our final question is, if you were to meet yourself, meet a younger version of yourself, uh, what piece of advice would you give? Where to start? <laughs> um, 
you know, I think uh, I have like two categories for this, you know, from a career standpoint, I would probably encourage myself to be a more active collaborator and to let my ego go a lot earlier than I did. Um, and then just generally from a life standpoint, like, first of all, wear sunscreen. <laughs> uh, yes. A hundred percent. We all learned it maybe a little too late, but we're doing our best. Um, you know, stop making excuses for people who can who consistently treat you with disrespect and, um, don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. Um, you'll wrestle for some feathers, but it'll be worth it. Oh, love it. Um, Molly, it's been fantastic chatting with you. Uh, you're such yes, an inspired, thank you so much for being and, on. Uh, immensely talented person. Um, congratulations on your new role at IMDb. That sounds like such a cool opportunity, but thank you for taking the thank time. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. I would love to check in. Um, I think that'll probably be around the, uh, Sundance time. So maybe I'll have Ooh. some fun things to report. <laughs> nice. I love it. You're listening to a brand folder podcast where we like to say strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective.